Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. I want to preach a sermon. Is that all right? So we're doing a year on grace and truth. And uh, January, we're talking about grace defined. We're defining uh, what grace is. And I'm going to dive deep, and it's based into grace and truth, and it's based on John 1, chapter 1, verse 14 and 17, where it's talking about Jesus Christ. It says the word, and there in that context, the word is um, referring to Jesus. Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's a real emphasis there on grace, 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 and truth, truth, and the person of Jesus Christ. Um, So this deep dive into grace, we're really going to, I'm excited about it because we don't have to hurry through this idea. Grace is an absolutely essential aspect of the Christian faith. But surprisingly, it's often misunderstood. It really is. People have all these crazy ideas and, and argue about it, and believe it or not. Uh, Christians argue. Who would have thought? <laughs> and grace is at the center of this theological battle in our day uh, where uh, many people are trying to redefine grace uh, away from the traditional Orthodox, uh, biblical, uh, uh, historical uh, uh, understanding of grace that has existed for thousands of years. And actually, this theological battle isn't a new battle. It actually comes up every about 100 years throughout church history. <clears throat> and so, uh, but it happens to be raging right now, and we need to be prepared to answer it. So, if we're saved by grace, if you're a Christian, if you've accepted Jesus as Lord, you probably heard you're saved by grace. If we're saved by grace, then it's probably pretty important that we understand, <laughs> you know, well, what is that? And that's why we're doing it. Mark, right now in Vandalia, in our country church, uh, he's unpacking some of the historical um, history, the perspectives on grace throughout the church history. And so he's going to be doing that next week. And he's put a lot of time into studying it. And he had so many notes. I'm like, you need to take a hatchet to that, brother. <laughs> like 14 pages of notes. He had a book. <laughs> and so, um, uh, but it's really good. And he, has, he does have a really good way of portraying the, the overview of the historical discussions about grace. But I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about how grace is personal and powerful. Grace is personal and powerful. And uh, so let's just say that. Grace is personal and powerful. Powerful. Personal and powerful. Praise God. What is grace? Well, common definition of grace, I'm sure you've heard of. What's the most common definition of grace? Boom! Unmerited favor. And sure, that is a great way to... Uh, summarize the idea. Another common explanation is mercy is giving us, uh, uh, mercy is not giving us what we deserve. And grace is giving us what we don't deserve. So mercy doesn't demand us the, the penalty of sin. It takes away uh, death and, and damnation. <clears throat> but grace goes way beyond that and says, God gives us his righteousness and welcomes us into his presence for eternity. 
And so that's the difference. Those are both really good and true statements. But as I thought about that, I was like, wait a minute. That's not what grace is. That's what grace does. That is the outcome or the benefit of God's grace. But that's not really what grace is. Let me illustrate this. A couple of ways. This is money. Would you all agree? Okay, this is $20. All right, what is the value of this piece of paper? A tank of gas. Well, actually, this piece of paper is not worth anything. All right, so fortunately, because we're Americans, this piece of paper, people value all over the world. So I was just in Israel, and they prefer American dollars over... Israeli shekels, all right? <laughs> so, uh, but in a lot of countries, the, like the paper money is like, they la- it's a joke. Yeah. For us, this actually has value because we have a, a whole nation and industry to back it. But this piece of paper is just a way to transmit the value. So the value of this is $20, a tank of gas or whatever, but it really, it's just a piece of paper that represents value, right? And so this is the difference between the benefit of grace, unmerited favor, and the value that is actually distinct from this piece of paper. Let me give you another example. Uh, if, uh, if you encounter uh, someone who gives you a gift, if I were to gift this, I would, but I, I need this money to get the toll over the bridge this afternoon. <laughs> uh, uh, if I were to gift this to someone, it's a gift, right? Now, I may give that gift because I'm generous. A generous person gives gifts. But the gift isn't generosity. Right? The gift is the expression of generosity. Because someone can give $20 as a bribe to manipulate. And so they're not operating out of generosity. They're operating out of control and uh, manipulation. And so unmerited favor is like the gift. Grace is like generosity that gives the gift. Ha! I thought it was pretty good. (laughs) So grace is an attribute of God. It's an attribute of God, the unchanging characteristic nature of God and is most accurately and fully revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. All right? Jesus was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so the Bible emphasizes this over and over. You can never disconnect grace from the person of Jesus. All right? This means grace is personal. Grace is not an abstract idea or something like a constitutional right. And Christians, most Christians, most preachers, most books on grace treat grace as though it's like this constitutional right that God has put into place that we need to behave or do something in order to access that grace. And that's not the way it works. Because it's personal. All right? It, 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 it is embodied in the person of Jesus. Romans 5, 17, talking about it, says, 
For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, saying this through Adam, we all sinned, and death, everyone's died since then. That's pretty personal. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so there's a huge emphasis in this passage about the very person of Jesus Christ. Not an idea of grace, but the person, one man, Jesus Christ. So it's personal to Jesus, and then it's personal to us. Earlier in that chapter, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5 of Romans, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace, which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we have to access grace through the person of Jesus Christ by faith. Faith is simply relationship. Relationship with Jesus. So it's personal on behalf of God. It's personal on behalf of Jesus Christ. But it also needs to be personal to me. It can't be just some objective idea that I agree with or disagree with or is written in a book somewhere or happens to be a statement of faith to the church I attend. That's not good enough. That's not grace. You have to encounter it personally because it's, it's communicated through the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, <clears throat> the Bible says in 2 Peter 3.18, it says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. And so the word grow here <coughs> means to enlarge. It means to mature. Hey, grow up in this. Grow up. A couple of places in the Bible it says grow up. So it's biblical to tell somebody, hey, grow up. <laughs> it means to increase, mature, and enlarge. In what? In grace. This is a command of Scripture that we're to grow in grace. <clears throat> all right, so uh, how do you do that? Let's all do it right now. All right, ready? ready? Let's grow. <laughs> how do I go? How do, you, how do you actually grow in grace? Well, I'll tell you. <clears throat> It says we're to grow in grace in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So it's not just something we work on in, in developing our character, although it's good to do that, <clears throat> or understand through an idea or a doctrine. It's good to do that. But that in and of itself doesn't grow us in grace. Um, how we do it is that we get to know the person of Jesus Christ in the knowledge, it says, of Jesus Christ. Grace in the knowledge. So if I wanted to know, get to know Bill, for example, if you wanted to get to know this guy named Bill, how would you do that? Spend time with him. How else? What's that? Stalk him on Facebook. Talk to him. Write out a questionnaire. Ask them questions. All right. So to get to know somebody, we kind of know how to do that. So guess what? How do you grow in grace? Get to know Jesus in the exact same way. All right? You follow him. <laughs> Good one. I saw what you did. <laughs> 
But he's, you know, it's the Bible. It's his Facebook, right? You follow him. You, you see what he's doing, right? <laughs> I had to explain it. <laughs> you talk to him. You listen to him. You spend time to him. You go to his house. You hang out with his friends. Pretty soon, you're getting to know him. And in getting to know him, you grow in grace. You grow in grace. And by doing that, by growing in grace, is the only way we as individuals can reflect the Jesus to the world, and, and, and the church uh, uh, needs to do this corporately. So grace is personal. Grace is also powerful. <clears throat> the Thayer's uh, lexicon that defines the word for grace, <clears throat> charis in the Greek, says it's the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, e- increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of Christian virtue. Isn't that just almost poetic? So this idea of exerting his holy influence. Too many people think grace is an idea that's written down in a book. But the Bible says, and the word means, grace is an... I'm going to pick on Bill again. So influence, exerting, all right? That's like pushing, all right? Powerful. Yeah. And God's grace, if we allow him, increases Christian faith. It's like kneading him. Does this feel good, Bill? Sort of. Knowledge. When I go to, I've only had a a massage like two or three times because I don't like other people touching me. But when I'm forced to, I'm like, push hard, man. I'm like, you can't can't push too hard, okay, because I like it, you know. It's like God's kneading, like kneading a bread dough, affection, kindling them, it's lighting them on fire. Yeah. So this is very personal, isn't it? It is. <laughs> and there's an influence. That's the big thing. And that's God, that's what God does. That's what grace is. Grace is the tangible energy of God being displayed to us and through us. I believe that. All of God's attributes affect change in us, uh, and we're intended to be transformed into his image by being around him. And so uh, everything that God is, we become when we spend time with him, because his character affects transformation, exerts his influence. Uh, in us, and that's the same thing with grace. Grace empowers. Grace is the general term of taking all of God's character and pushing us, as it were, just by being in his presence to become like him. It's the energy of force of God's character upon this. And so this isn't that hard to understand. This is true of people, all right? If you're, um, uh, I have a friend whose name is Josh Muse, and this guy is a crazy evangelist. Uh, you know, if you're with him for more than 30 minutes, he will be preaching to someone. And they will almost for sure get saved. <laughs> and, uh, like, literally, we were in, and we pulled up in town, there was a police officer that was, uh, I forget why they stopped us, they didn't pull us over, but it was right where we parked. <clears throat> and within minutes, they're talking to this police officer. And not only did they explain the gospel to that police officer, but they said, hey, can we come to your police station and talk to all of the police officers? And I'm like, guys, this is Mexico. <coughs> going to a police station down there is different than going to one up here, okay? Just saying. <coughs> and, um, 
And sure enough, the guy said, let me call my, my uh, whatever. I couldn't hear what he was saying, but he called his station commander or something and said, yeah, tomorrow at 2 o'clock or whatever. <laughs> so I'm like, is this for real? Are we really doing this? And Josh was like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, we do this all the time. I'm like, really? <laughs> so we have in the car and we go to this, to this big giant fence. <clears throat> and, you know, there's, they keep, I don't know, the machine guns. And <clears throat> we go in and it's very protected because the police are, are targeted. Uh, they're picked on by the gangs. <clears throat> uh -huh. Nobody likes the police down there. And so uh, uh, we go in there and, and they lined up, all the police in, in the station lined up. Seriously, they were like standing in formation. And Josh just preached the gospel to him. And he said, just, if you want to, if, you, if you're comfortable, follow me in this prayer. And he had him say a salvation prayer. And I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> uh, the uh, first time I was with him, I was with him less than two hours. And this, this young guy, a college professor who was in his 30s, young guy, uh, uh, in between the Bible study and we were going to his house to fellowship, he leads him to the Lord right there. And so when I'm around Josh, I just get close to him. Because I, want, I said, Josh, give me what you have. Because there's an anointing, yeah. you know. If, <clears throat> we all know people that are just jovial. They're laughing. They're telling jokes. They're fun to be around. And when you're around them, you feel happy, right? You know people like that. And so we, we are influenced by the character of other people. There's actually a psychological term for that. How about grumpy people? You're in a room. You might be happy, and this person that you're in with, like, they're just mad for some reason. It doesn't take long for that to rub off on you, right? So this is a common dynamic within people, because we're wired this way. So if we spend time with God, huh, by the very way that we're created, we will become like him. And that is full of grace and truth. Grace is powerful. Ephesians 2.8 says, <clears throat> For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Very famous verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Jesus uh, Christ Jesus for good works, uh, for which God prepared <clears throat> beforehand that we should walk in them. By grace you have been saved. It's the power of grace, this holy influence, uh, his character that saved us from sin and death. And let's, I just want to illustrate this a little bit. <clears throat> We all and all of mankind, the, the message of the Bible is that we were stuck in sin right. and death and we were imprisoned to spiritual forces in the world and our own twisted nature that no matter how hard we tried, it's, we just kind of made it worse, <laughs> okay? And, and at best, we could get our act together and look like we had everything together. Right. But inside, we were still morally corrupt and destined for an eternity of darkness, okay? That's what death is. And because we had no power within ourselves, no ability or knowledge to get out of that prison of death and sin, God extended his grace, his character, and said, because I love you, he takes us from this place, and it was grace, we believe this, if you believe the gospel, that we've been saved by grace, and so we have freedom from death and hell and damnation. And we have freedom from the power of sin and from Satan simply because God's grace, or that he loves us. Do you believe that? Yes. That's how you get to heaven? Yes. <clears throat> well, if that's true of how you get to heaven, then that's true of every remnant 
or residue of sin and death in your life. Okay? (laughs) That's true of every residue or remnant of sin in your life. And so if you're struggling with a behavior that is unhealthy and destructive, God's grace will save you from that. If you're struggling with pornography or an addiction to uh, uh, alcohol or some other kind of drugs or just bad thinking, if you're struggling with poor self-esteem or whatever it may be, how do you get free from that? The message of the gospel is that you can't do it on your own, but God's grace lifts you up out of that. And so everything that we struggle with is the answer for the provision for the power personal and powerful. The power of grace is to free us from everything that hinders us. Uh, And to do the good works, not only to get free from the bad stuff, but this is a real good part, to do the good work. To, to, to minister to the poor, to set the captives free, to, to heal the brokenhearted, all of the things that the church is supposed to be doing. Where do we get the power to do that? It's the grace of God operating in us. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it can free us from everything. I already said that. <laughs> this is my favorite verse on, on grace. It's in Titus 2.11. I know you all memorize that one. Yeah. Titus. <clears throat> um, For the grace of God has appeared... Uh, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So here is grace revealed very clearly uh, that it brings salvation. I just explained all this. But beyond that, it trains us. And the Greek word for training there is to educate, okay, that's transformation of information, but it also means discipline, right? Uh, Any parents in the room? Is there a difference between telling your child what to do (laughs) and getting them to actually do it? You know? I'm like, it's really not that hard, (laughs) all right? You know, whatever it may be, take out the trash, you know? You know, if if it's full, take it out, (laughs) you know? Like, you walk by it, you know, <laughs> you walk, just pick it up, take it up. <laughs> but you can't tell him that just one time, can you? You got to train him or her over and over and over again, you know, and you can't get upset about it. It's just like, this is training. It's training. It's training. You know, it's like, like okay, kid, <clears throat> we're done with diapers. This is a potty chair. You just set up and do your business. We good? <laughs> Two years later. <laughs> it can also mean uh, molding the character or the father. So grace is that active force in us, and it actively trains us, equips us, empowers us, disciplines us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So that's the negative. We're pushing that away, empowers us to push that away, but also empowers us to live righteously, self-controlled, upright, and godly. 
Ungodly means generous, it means holy, it means uh, caring for others, it means all of the good attributes of God. Where does that come from? It comes from God's grace. What is God's grace? It's his character, his influence, molding our character. So this, is, this makes grace so far from the idea that it's a free pass to remain in sin, which some people misunderstand grace. Uh, oh, well, we're all going to heaven anyway. Jesus died on the cross. He paid for the sins of all the people. So it doesn't really matter if you sin or not because you're just going to, it's all paid for. No, no, no. That's not grace. That's, that's like, <clears throat> that's, a, that's not accepting God's generosity. That's being a leech, you know. And even a generous person will come to a place where, oh, they're not really interested in my generosity. They just want my stuff. All right. And a, and a wise, generous person would say, you know, that's enough. Uh, and so grace is not a free pass to sin, but the power to resist sin and to live godly. Isn't that good? So this is the conclusion in, in Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, it talks about uh, Jesus. It says, since then, we have a, uh, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He knows what we're going through because he came down and went through it. But one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Every struggle that mankind faces, in some way Jesus experienced, and so he understands. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace, not of judgment, the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. So when we're needy, the answer is not to buckle down and try harder. The answer is to turn to the throne of grace, to draw near and to find grace. Find grace. And if you're here and you've never found the grace in the eyes of Jesus Christ by accepting him as Lord and Savior, you can do that. It is a decision. You need to make a decision. I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. I believe that when he died on the cross, he was dying for my sin. And I believe that God's going to raise, him from the, uh, raise us from the dead. He raised Jesus from the dead, and he will come back and raise us from the dead. And so if you believe that, that's good. <clears throat> and that gives you access to the grace that then comes in and is meant to transform every aspect of your life.